what's up happy tuesday i hope everyone enjoyed the extra long weekend i'm still a big fan of four-day work weeks and three-day weekends actually it should be three-day work weeks and four-day weekends um, because burnout is real and honestly how do you expect your employees to work five days out of the week and only give them two days to take a break when those two days you're trying to catch up on your personal crap that you put off because you've been working for five days for 40 hours a week but that's for another episode obviously. Today's episode I'm really excited about. It's actually pretty long. I feel like this might be the longest episode I have. Um, So with that being said, I'm not going to bore you guys with a life update. Um, I do have some some things I want to discuss that's going on in my life, but I'm just going to kind of wait until the dust settles before talking about it. But um, anyway, let's get into today's episode. So on today's show, we have Aisha Schultz-Spradlin. Yes, she's back. Um, She was actually on episode 18, so she's definitely a friend to the pod. Um, On today's episode, we discuss her creating her own cannabis company and what that all entails. I find it to be so fascinating because that's not an industry that I know personally of a lot of people like going into. So it was really cool to hear how she decided to go into this industry, her big why behind it. Um the money that is needed to start a company like this. It's crazy. Um, And, you know, just all the things. So I really hope that you guys enjoy today's episode. And also be sure to check out her podcast, the Aisha Please podcast. Um, If you follow Aisha on IG, then like her podcast is just an extension of that. And it's great. I'm so happy that she's back. Um, So be sure to check that out. All right, let's get into today's episode. Okay, so my name is Aisha Schultz-Bradlin. I am a podcaster, a place of practitioner, and a cannabis business entrepreneur. So I have a cannabis business called Black Moon Cannabis that's a startup right now, um, which is, you know, typical in the cannabis industry. And then I also have a podcast called Aisha Please, where I discuss everything 420 related and just like a very inappropriate, appropriate podcast, as I like to say. (laughs) I cannot wait for your podcast to come back. I just love like hearing you talk. What was it? I was listening to it was you and your mom watching Little Fires Everywhere. I <laughs> yes. loved it so much. I was like, yes. oh no, like this, this needs to be a thing like every single week. So I'm really excited yes. for the rebrand and for the return of the I Should Please podcast for sure. Yes, I'm so excited too. That was probably one of my favorite episodes too. And also one of my favorite shows. So yeah, there'll be more of that too. There'll be more of uh like cannabis specific things, as well as talking about shows and TV shows that I'm watching and like applying those kind of things to life, because I feel like I learned so many big life lessons from it sometimes, (laughs) like, you know, cannot wait. So before we dive into this um, conversation, I want to ask you a little icebreaker question, even though you've already been on the podcast before and like (laughs) a lot of stuff still. Um, So if you could travel to any country and live there for a year, where would it be and why? Um, It would for sure be Bali. 
hands down. Um, I've been there before. Um, the cost of living there is very low for the quality of life being very high. I love that it was a culture that really prioritized self-care. Like you could literally go get a like deep tissue massage for what an our dollar would be like $5 because those kind of things are prioritized. And just, I don't know, just that like I've traveled so many places. I've been to Iceland. I've been to a lot of places and I just anywhere but America, right? Um, because just the way that they deal with their food, like I feel like food tastes better in other countries, especially Bali. It was just like, everything was so fresh. I had an apple there and I literally asked the lady like, what is this? She was like an apple, but it just tastes so different. Like it was just like, I was like, what are we eating in America? So <laughs> yes, definitely Bali hands down. They do self-care how the whole world should do self-care and it's like tied to a lot of spiritual practices there's beautiful temples there i i would probably not even leave after the year i probably would stay um but yeah definitely oh my gosh yeah i need to i need to visit it looks beautiful and the fact that everything is like so much more affordable i'm like that's where i i need to be let's take it from the beginning how did you first get introduced into the cannabis industry like what was your first introduction (laughs) so my first introduction was this is sounds so bad because I started smoking weed in eighth grade um but I was in an area in Pennsylvania where there was really nothing to do and that was like what you did you like you know went to the woods and you smoked weed or you smoked weed at the creek and so that was my introduction I feel like to cannabis overall um and then to the industry would have to be when I moved to Michigan and I, I got my first medical marijuana card and then I started to see it as like an actual industry right like people making money off of this outside of like you know my little <laughs> plug right just picking up off the street so that's when I really got introduced to like dispensaries and like going in literally shopping for my weed and like sh- like edibles that's when that really expanded for me when I moved here in Michigan which was about like five years ago gotcha and so what so what was the shift from you being like a consumer to a like an entrepreneur business owner and having your own cannabis company Yes. So I feel like the shift for me was just very political and social justice rooted. Um, It was when I started to see it become a recreational industry and see that the dispensaries were popping up all over Detroit that wasn't owned by Detroiters, that weren't owned by black and brown people who were like impacted so so majorly by by the war on drugs. So that's when I was like, okay, let me look into this as like, how can I get into this as an industry, like as a business owner, like be a part of this industry. Um, and then as I started to do my research, there was like zero black women I was finding. And if they were in the industry, they were like non-plant touching, which we'll talk about too, because there's different levels to the industry. You can be a non-plant touching cannabis business owner, or you can be a plant touching business owner and you're awarded different like grants and funding, et cetera, depending on where you are. And I wasn't seeing a lot of like plant touching business owners. I mean, people who like are growing weed, who are growing cannabis, who are like who own dispensaries, who have a cannabis brand. It was mostly when I was seeing black women in industry, it was tied to like the education around it or like the social justice work around it. And it kind of bothered me a little bit because I'm like, black women are always kind of in those roles when it comes to any industry. Like, you know, we don't have stake in the game how these other people do. And so that was that little shift for me when I was like, wait a minute, there, there needs to be some type of shakeup. And so I really got into the industry on a like, I want to be a part of this billion dollar industry that's growing without my people. 
the cannabis industry just from like what I've what I've seen has excluded like black and brown people you know in that space when and you know has like punished us um for for being users or or, or that stuff and now it is kind of like messed up how all these people are now trying to like cash in when you know so many people have been penalized for their lives have been changed so it's 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 you know really like awesome I think for you to like see that and be like you know what like I want a piece of the pie like education and all that stuff that's great that's taken care of but like let me you know let me do this over here so that's awesome so correct me if I'm wrong but cannabis was legalized or what the heck I'm gonna say weed so weed was was legalized in Michigan in 2018 right yes um medically so, um, yeah. And so then it came, no, it was issue, um, legalized in, uh, Michigan medically back in 2016, 2015. And then yes, recreationally 2018, um, everywhere, but Detroit had still not had an adult use recreational like policy. So we, our city itself hadn't opted into adult use. So the state overall said, yes, we're allowing medical, uh, marijuana, but we're also allowing recreational, but Detroit didn't opt in until this year. Um, and then the lawsuit came with it being found unconstitutional through the Detroit Legacy Program, et cetera. But yeah. Okay. So what do you mean by found unconstitutional? So when cannabis became legal in Michigan, each city and county could then opt into whether or not they wanted to be a part of the adult use industry or they just want to stay medical so Detroit was medical and they opted in to be adult use but they wanted to have certain parameters on adult use because when medical marijuana was allowed in Detroit they allowed like 97% of the medical marijuana businesses were owned by non-Detroiters and so Mayor Duggan and our city council people were like we can't allow adult use to come into Detroit one of the largest cities and going to be a big game changer in the industry and have that same thing happened where 97% of the businesses that are profiting off of Detroiters are not Detroit businesses. So they launched what they called a Detroit legacy program. And so the Detroit legacy program gave preference to Detroiters. So Initially, it was to give preference to black and brown folks, right? But they couldn't say, we're giving this to black and brown folks. So they did it in a way where they're like, by how long you've lived here. So if you've been convicted of like a marijuana offense or a felony, you get priority in applying for the licenses. If you've lived here for 13 or 14 years, you get priority of applying. And so they did it this way to give them first crack at the licenses, Um but there were some issues with it, uh, which the city, which the Supreme Court then found unconstitutional because of the little loopholes that then existed in it. So, for example, if you're a Detroit legacy, you can apply for an adult use license for one dollar, whereas I'm not a Detroit legacy. I'm a social equity applicant, meaning I've lived in an area that's been impacted by the war on drugs. So I get a discount on these licenses. So I get a 25% off of a license that's normally $5,000. So if I'm getting a discount, right, and then someone who's not a social equity, not a Detroit legacy, that means they're paying for their license at $5,000. Well, that means a Detroit legacy can put in five thousand applications to my one because they're buying them for they're applying at a dollar whereas they're applying for at five thousand so 
a lot of people had an issue with that because some of the licenses are limited. So there's different types of adult use licenses. You can have a cultivation license, which is specifically just growing. You can have a retail license, which is like dispensaries, micro businesses, et cetera. And each of those are capped at a certain way. So micro businesses, only 35 licenses allowed in Detroit. So a lot of people were then getting antsy because they're like, well, if Detroit legacy folks have first right to refuse or first right at these licenses, because they had like, even where, even though applications open for them at an earlier point than everyone else. So folks got mad and they're like, well, then we won't have a chance to get into the market because there's not unlimited licenses. And there's already, let's say a thousand people applying already as Detroit legacy. So then that's when the lawsuit came to be. Folks were just like upset about that. And they did find it unconstitutional citing, you know, on um, commerce clause, et cetera, et cetera. Gotcha. And so where do you stand on this, this issue? Like, do you think it's fair or not fair? <laughs> it, that, that's such a, that puts me at such a weird position. And so I, okay, as a Detroiter, um, you know, originally I'm from the East Coast, originally from, I'm from Pennsylvania. I've moved here and lived here for the last five years. And I think that the, you know, the Detroit Legacy Program was one of the most innovative, like, approaches to recreational cannabis that I've ever seen. And with that, I knew there was going to be some issues because, it, there was loopholes. And so I think that it was a great idea, but I think that maybe they should have not had limitations on the licenses where they allowed everyone, like they allowed unlimited licenses to be able to happen. Or maybe, you know, instead of it being a lottery on when you get a license, maybe there's like a scoring, right? Or a rubric or something. And I know the reasons why they decided against those things, because once again, that puts black and brown people at a disadvantage, right? Um, depending on the rubric, because some of them is like, well, you need to have $250,000 in startup capital. Many of us do not have $250,000 in startup capital. That already gives us a ding on our application. Or you might, or it might have another question on there like, oh, well, you get a certain number of points if you've already had an established medical uh, facility. A lot of people didn't have that. So they were really trying to narrow it down so that Detroiters got first right. And I think in that narrowing down, they were they didn't look at the loopholes that that narrowing down would create. And so I think that they should have spent a little bit more time with it um, and made it more comprehensive and more solid. So I think that's what they're doing now. They're planning on having some type of um, decision by September, Um, but I'm taking the route because I've went through like a cannabis cohort class and I'm ready to go. Like I'm ready to apply for my licensing. So I am just uh, gonna look around in different parts of Michigan Uh, I do want to be in the Detroit market, but I also feel like I don't really have a lot of faith in like these billionaires who are being able to lobby and essentially kind of have say in what happens in Detroit. And I don't want to, you know, get knocked to the wayside or lose all of the momentum that I've built waiting for this decision to happen. Right. Right. That makes sense. And also, too, like if you decide to do, you know, build your business somewhere else in Michigan, hopefully by the time like Detroit gets it together, you could always open up like one there, too. You know what I mean? Right. Lose time. So that makes sense. Um, Right. So how have you seen the industry grow in your area since um, since it being legalized? Um, So I've seen it grow in the sense that like there are a lot of adult use dispensaries are popping up. So before, you know, not necessarily in Detroit, but in our surroundings, like areas in Detroit. So Hamtramck, um, Southfield, Ferndale, Royal Oak, I'm starting to see so many um, 
recreational dispensaries pop up. And that's pretty cool because before you could only really get marijuana or get cannabis in Michigan if you had a medical card. And so granted, medical cards were, you know, pretty easy to get if you spoke to your doctor about it you know there's there's the list that requires you to have medical marijuana is very long but um still like folks you know didn't want to have medical marijuana card uh just for the sake of work you know their like family all that kind of stuff so being able to just go in with your id and purchase cannabis is pretty cool um i've also seen like just like, and I wouldn't say this is necessarily tied to like just around me, but since Detroit has been kind of in this like, will they, won't they kind of tug of war of adult can of adult use, I've seen like major things popping up for cannabis elsewhere, like Amazon, you know, allowing you know not drug testing folks anymore for marijuana, and so just seeing the market shift, and I think that. I won't see any great, great change, especially in Detroit until we have that legalization because Detroit is the largest market in Michigan is just not online yet. And so I think that's when we'll really see a shift um, in the cannabis market here in Michigan. I mean, right now, Michigan's recreational cannabis sales for not including, you know, Detroit, which is one of the largest areas, not including all the other states or not the other states, the other cities that had opted out of recreational were already grossing $3.2 billion in our recreational market. And that's with not even most of our cities and counties opting into adult use. That's just with the few that are there. So I see a huge shift happening when a city like Detroit becomes online. We're the size of LA with less people, you know? So the amount of space and such, I see it being a, a great deal, especially because Detroit, you know, we've talked about this before, but Detroit still suffers from blight. We still have a lot of like, you know, abandoned buildings, blocks that have nothing on it. And now with this, with the way that everything is going from the pandemic, people aren't really jumping to ju like start new businesses right now, except the cannabis industry, because the one thing that kept going through the pandemic, people were still buying weed. <laughs> no one stopped going to buy weed. If anything, weed sales went up. That's why we're at 3.2 billion. Whereas last year we was just a 1.2 billion. You're in the beginning stages of black moon cannabis. Mm -hmm. So what were some of the first steps that you took? Like, walk like walk me through like the conceptualize conceptualization to like execution of like your business plan yes I'm so excited you're asking me about this because this is also part of what I'm going to be talking about on Aisha please as well because I feel like no one talked about how much work it takes to actually start up in the industry and then a lot of folks are deterred from going into it because they don't think that they can do it and a lot of people's skills that they have from other like positions and other careers and other professions will apply beautifully to cannabis. But the biggest key to like making your business work in cannabis is regulation. So cannabis is the most regulated outside of like pharmaceuticals and food. Cannabis is highly regulated, um, obviously, because it's a still schedule one drug substance is not federally legal so there's so many things like little things that you would even think about that you really have to consider when going to cannabis for example my i'm a startup right and the first thing you would do with any brand is you would trademark your name well i can't trademark my name because trademarking is federal and i'm cannabis i'm a cannabis company and it would be going on cannabis products. So there's so many things that I have to, I literally just talked to my lawyer today about like, how do I make that work? Like what avenues can I take? Maybe I'll take an ag agricultural trademark 
um, or just like, you know, because it's a bathhouse, a bathhouse trademark, but that's not something someone who's starting like a food company has to worry about, you know? So the first thing I did when I knew I wanted to get into the industry, I was like, I need to take a class. I need to join a cohort. I need to talk to industry professionals who have been in this field, either medically or recreationally, who can guide me. And so I joined um, the Detroit Cannabis Project, which is a cohort that's put on by one of the only Black-owned cannabis brands in Detroit, Collexium, and one of the largest uh, delivery companies in Michigan, Lantern. So they put on this cohort to pretty much help Detroit legacy social equity residents learn what, what it needs to take to enter the industry and what they need to do. So I did that cohort and they walked you through every single step from building from uh, your building your business plan to what um, POS systems you need, point of sale systems you need, because once again, not federally legal. So if I, you know, am going to have a credit card system, a lot of credit card systems will not work with me because I am not a federal, I'm not federally legal. So Square, you know, you have to have a cannabis specific point of sale system. And so that's why a lot of dispensaries are also cash only, which is super dangerous, obviously, for so many different reasons. Um, and so that's why a lot of, you also have to have a security plan and like tied to your business it's so much because of the regulation that completely adds not only an extra layer of just for um forethought as well as like investigation and research but also a cost layer right like and that is what i would say is like the the biggest thing is because as soon as you tell someone you're a cannabis business already they're looking at you in the billion dollar bracket so what might have cost you a thousand dollars is now costing you a million because they see you as a billion dollar industry so they're like this person could afford this and no I cannot I'm a startup (laughs) like I'm trying to do this thing so um I've seen um like so right now where I'm in that phase is I pretty much have built up my businesses and business like my business model my business plan my price list all of that stuff and now I'm crowdfunding so as I'm applying for these licenses I'm crowdfunding for my building because one of the things here is like before you apply for your um, second part of your license, which is like the actual micro business cultivation, whatever license, you have to have a building because they want to make sure one, your building plan um, has a security protocol. Two, you have a way of getting rid of the smell of cannabis um, in a way that's just not dumping it into the street. So you have like some type of like um, HVAC system, duct system, etc. And three, that you have a plan of um, a plan up for your waste, for your cannabis waste, because it's still a schedule one drug. And so like the police, essentially the, why you have to have all this together is the police don't want to spend time trying to guard your stash house. Essentially, if you want to put it in like street terms, the police don't want to guard your stash house. So they want to make sure that if you're coming up uh, like on a block that has like a McDonald's or like other businesses, you're not putting those businesses in harm because now you're like a cash only business with weed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) like everyone pretty much knows that like they know most dispensaries have to operate like that because of the lack of pos systems so that's why i keep saying the industry as large and as lucrative as it is it's still so small it's it reminds me of like when the tech industry was starting how it was like super lucrative but it was like only a select few that were even like contributing to it and now obviously it's grown to this big Silicon Valley mass group thing but I look at jumping into cannabis as in jumping into 
you know, the tech industry before it blew up or jumping into, you know, the alcohol industry bef- like af- before, pro- like after prohibition, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's how I look at it because even, you know, just to give an example, but like back during the gold rush times, right? Everybody was going to go dig in the mountains for gold, but who made the most money? The people who were selling the pickaxes, the people who were selling the, you know, shovels, the wheelbarrows. And so that's why I wanted to, I want to talk about cannabis more because I want black people specifically, because you know, that's my whole thing to know you have a way in this industry, this billion dollar industry, and you don't even have to be what they call a plant touching business. You could literally be the person who just sells the sleeves that you put on so that your hand, that your arm isn't covering like Keith. <laughs> and you could be a million dollar business selling that. And so there's still so much like, because everything has to be so cannabis specific it's like there's not enough people in my opinion black and brown people specifically in the industry so like graphic designing has to be different because there's certain way you have to market i can't do paid advertisement and so there's very few cannabis marketing professionals if you're a person with a marketing degree start applying that to cannabis if you're like a a marketing professional or you're a graphic design professional apply that to cannabis there's so many ways into the industry that wouldn't necessarily have to be plant touching or be a plant touching industry too like there's room so right yeah so to follow up with you know that question what are the startup costs associated with like you know starting your own cannabis company oh my gosh they're so high okay so first of all like in Michigan so I can't say for every place that is legal I just want to put that out there because each like state has a different type of regulation and different fees once again not federal so you don't have that uniformity through the states that are legal so in Michigan specifically there's two parts to your application. So one, you have to do a back a pre-qualification, which is pretty much making sure you're qualified to even apply for the adult use license. So that's your background check. That alone is 4,500. No, that alone is six grand. I get a discount because I'm a social equity applicant. So for me, that is 4,500 because I get 25% off. So that's 6,000 on the regular. Then you have your license. So for your adult use license, it depends on what license you're applying for. Each license is a different fee. A micro business license may be 6,000, but a cultivation license might be 12,000. So you gotta frame it from there. So I would say your, at least your licensing costs, you should at least have set aside 20,000 right off the bat because maybe you need to apply for two licenses, not one. For example, I'm a micro business, which means a micro business is the only business, only retail business in Michigan that can grow their own weed, like process their own weed and sell their own weed. Any other other any other place, you have to have a, one license. So a dispensary only sells weed. That means that they buy weed from other big grows and then sell it or other big brands and sell it. They're just like a corner store. Essentially, they get their vendors in there and then they sell them a cultivation lab is the people who are growing weed they're cultivating that weed a processing location those are the folks who are doing all the trimming cutting the weed off the plant though you know getting it ready for packaging 
And then you have your packaging people who are doing the packaging. So there's so many different routes around licensing. And depending on what your business style is, you might need to apply for more than one license. So I want to not only be able to grow and sell my own weed, but I also want people to be able to smoke in the lounge, in in the bathhouse. So I have to get a consumption lounge license. So that's two licenses already at 12,000. So 24, so we 24,000 together. Oh my goodness. Which is why you're crowdfunding to be able to like to pay for that, that stuff. Right. So I'm pretty much like right now paying for my licensing on my own with like my friends and family round. So I did like a kind of like ask around that they tell all investors to do, which is asking your friends and your family what they're willing to like invest in you, whether it's through donation, whether it's through like whatever kind of a gift, whatever. And so that's how I'm kind of using that money for my, my uh, licensing fees right now. Um, and then side note, you have to apply for these licenses every year, just so you know, like you have to pay for it. So there's that. (laughs) Yeah. So much money. Right. So it's very, very difficult for black and brown people to enter in an industry that they have like one created because let's be honest black jazz professionals made this whole created this whole thing black you know culture created this whole vibe around weed around cannabis that made all these white folks want to buy into it and now it's like you know then it was the hippie era and etc etc but it was white black people who created that um created that culture around weed and made it cool essentially and so the fact that we make up less than 10 percent of a billion dollar industry that's a starting industry and that's like saying a three-year-old is a billionaire like that's crazy. And we yeah. represent less than 10% of that industry. And we are the people who not only created it, but have suffered the most at the hands of it. So that's why so many different areas I like, I'm pretty sure if you type anything cannabis, you'll see anywhere that has recreational cannabis is fighting so hard for either people's exp- people's records to be expunged if they've gotten charges from weed or cannabis. And just to be clear, the reason why we say cannabis is because marijuana has like a negative intent um, connotation associated with um, indigenous folks and then like I don't say weed because it just has like a negative connotation socially and like we're really trying to change the view of cannabis like cannabis is not crack it's not heroin it's not meth it's you know it's a medicine it's you know it's it's natural it's it's a a plant Um, and just because it's a schedule one drug doesn't mean you know that was you know just politics based around why it is that but so yeah there it's a it's a growing industry that has so few of us in it and the cost of going into the industry is high and there's no and so places like Detroit places like um, Oakland uh, are all trying to make sure that black and brown people have access into this industry by eliminating some of the barriers so the cost of applications and licensing fees you know educational classes to show them how to do this um so yeah it it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Like I could not like twenty four thousand dollars, six thousand dollars. Like it's just like that's. Oh my goodness, so much. I, I, I'd imagine that at times it could feel like a little like discouraging. Like what the crap? Like how am I gonna like get these funds and from where? You know what I mean? Especially like if you're not someone who has like parents who are millionaires or right. you know 
a, a windfall of money just comes your way and where you're able to pay for everything and having to pay for that every year. That's like, that's a little daunting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so, it's funny. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's funny that you say that because you posted something on your Instagram one day and it like literally came when I needed it because I was like, because you were talking about like being transparent about finances, right? And how like, it, it's hard. It's hard work and like to pay down your debt, like you, it, it's it's a conscious effort. It takes intention. It's not something that you do passively. And so I, I take that same approach to this industry. And it is, like you said, very daunting. Like, there are times where I'm just like, I should not have, like, started this. Like, I just need to stop what I'm doing. But then I remember that I'm not the only one in this boat, okay? Like, there's a lot of people right now who are all trying to enter this industry, specifically in Detroit and just overall. And if they can fucking do it, I can do it. Because a lot of them started, didn't have billions of dollars to go into this industry. They had to have someone fund them. And so where I'm taking a different route is, I'm sorry, I'm not selling half of my companies to some billionaire white boy so that they can just get richer. I'm really trying to make it so that I can take smaller investments so that I can have black investors. I can have, you know, black and brown folks invest in a company and be able to be a part of an industry and learn about it, grow from it, invest in other ways. So that's why I'm doing the crowdfunding. That's why I'm doing, you know, taking smaller investments outside of million dollars where people are telling me, no, it's going to take you forever to do it that way. And it's like, I'd rather grassroots this thing and do it right than sell my soul to the devil, <laughs> essentially, because I've heard the horror stories. Like there's been like situations where, you know, one of the girls who was in our cohort, she doesn't, she's back in our cohort because she had a business and now she doesn't because pretty much she signed a contract with a law. I'm not going to mention this large company's name who pretty much was like yeah we'll fund your 12 million dollar project and because she couldn't afford the lawyers to look over the the paperwork you know she couldn't afford all of that she was trusting it on good faith that these people are approaching her you know to be a part of business to fund her and to work with her because that was the environment they were giving her in her contract it said no matter what her business was evaluated at and mind you, billion dollar industry, correct? She owns a cultivation center. She started a cultivation center and a dispensary, which means she don't got, she's buying from herself, essentially. She's buying her own weed and selling it. Um, no matter what her businesses were evaluated at, she would be bought at at $250,000. Wow. No matter what her business was bought, evaluated at. So that's my fear, right? Is that because this is a new industry and like it's it's so gatekept, right? It's so gatekept by these people who want to keep like want to be the holders of the industry. They want to monopolize the industry. So they're holding on to all the secrets on how to join the industry. They have all the funding and then they're looking. And so the only defense that us regular people have that get into this industry is what our states or what our like, and communities put together for us. So things like right. the Detroit Legacy Program, those are the only protections that they have to really give them a fighting chance into these into this industry. And so that's why, that's what keeps me motivated. That's what pushes me to do this because I need to break into this so that I can open the door for other people to come in here. Because mm -hmm. it's crazy that this is like treated as if this is 
a far off dream. This isn't a far off dream. It's very, this is very easy and lucrative work. Like once you like get past the licensing, once you're opening it, you know, you're going to make the money. The money is there. It's a, it's a cash industry, literally a cash industry. You know, you're going to make the money. It's just a matter of someone betting on you enough to help you start up because there's, unless you're already a billionaire, there's no way you're going to be able to do it. You can't go get a business loan because you're not federal. You're not federally legal yet. So whereas a small business can go get a business loan to buy their building, I can't do that because I'm a cannabis business. And I feel like to your point, like, I feel like you're never really alone. Like you're never as alone as as you think you are. So like, even mm-hmm. though there are times where it feels like daunting, like like you said, you're like, well, no, there's other people in this boat with me. Like there's other people going through it, you know, going through like the same thing, similar situations. So like, you kind of just have to like thug it out and just know. <laughs> literally, literally. <laughs> and just know like what you're doing it for, the reason behind it. Because like, I feel like if you don't have a why, I feel like your why is being able to break in, break in into a highly regulated industry but bring people along the way and kind of just like change the narrative and I so I feel like that um that passion that drive will like is what's going to like keep you going forward and get get you to where you're going so yeah even though it's like kind of yeah time. <laughs> thank you <laughs> Um, and then one thing I also want to say, too, is that a lot of these businesses that start up, um, a lot of these cities, one of the things that they're doing to kind of make it so that these billion dollar businesses pay it back or pay it forward is that they have to have social equity plans. And your social equity plan has to impact the neighborhood that you're opening your business in in an impactful way. And so... Honestly, a lot of these social equity plans are looking like community gardens. They're looking like, you know, uh, a class on how to like just do a business plan. The only class that I saw that really like prepared folks who have never looked at this industry before the industry was the Detroit Cannabis Project, flat out. Everything else just kind of felt like, a pl- like you know, oh, I'm just doing that because I have to do that in order to come into the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with, and that's why I say that when I, my business is, its mission is yes, to, to provide women, because it's a women's only banya, to provide women with a space that they can be themselves. And by women, I mean all women, trans women, all women, all of us, to be able to be in a space where we're not being gawked at, we're not being catcalled by men, where we can literally relax and be in an oasis without having to travel thousands of miles away. And we can just relax and feel luxury and feel cared for um, and really delve into that self-care. But also I have a social equity plan that literally takes 3% of my all my sales that go into a, a Black Women in Cannabis Endowment Fund. That literally is like just money for your startup costs because I know how much that is. I know what that's like. So send me the invoice and I'll write it. Like I'll write, I'll cut the check because Energy. that's what, right. Because that's what's <laughs> missing in the, in, in the, in the industry. I'm sorry. Us like, we don't need your fucking 600 classes on how to build a business plan. I need you to fund me, period. That's what Black, small business owners need we need to be funded yeah we need to be funded and I know that a lot of people in the cannabis industry they feel like oh I'm not going to fund the business because I've seen like you know it's a very regulated business and what if they their business flops what if anyone's business flops 
that's what happens in business. You might start up and you might succeed or you might start up and you might fail. But the fact that, you know, Johnny and his friends can pitch you a startup app with no concept, no prototype, and you'll give them 2 million, but you won't give this black small business owner a thousand to start their business. That's where the disparity is. And that's where the unfairness is. And that's why this industry has less than 10% black people in it. Mm-hmm because you won't fund us. And then it's even less for women. Like women are already inherently just not funded in the startup industry and in the business right. industry. So I got two strikes against me, three, cause I'm a black queer woman. So I'm literally like, this is for the culture. Like I'm doing it for the culture because we need to see more of us in this industry in this and doing it and succeeding because you only can be what you can see. And I feel like it's not as hard as people think. It's, a, it's just an uh, education curve, just like anything else. If you were going to go check out a new restaurant, you would look it up online. You would do your research. If you're going to move to a new city, you would do your research. Same thing with this industry. Do your research. Learn about the regulations in your city and your state. Learn about, you know what's going on if your city has like a cannabis website i literally sit on that thing all day just reading articles i have the notifications from anything related to cannabis coming to my phone because that's how the industry is right now it's constantly evolving constantly shifting but that does not mean you don't have a place in it that does not mean it's too late for you to join it if anything that should be like telling you move fast to get in it but you also have time um so you kind of touched on my next question um which was no it's totally fine but just like what's your experience what you what has your experience been like trying to raise funds as like a black queer woman in this space it's been really difficult so far to be quite honest because like I said I can't go what would have really been a huge um, kickstarter for me was if I was able to go get a loan from a business because even a lot of these cannabis lending banks they still want to see startup capital they want to see that you have some type of funding and I do not have that like I do not have $250,000 like even the cannabis banks that is specific because you have to have a cannabis specific bank I can't go to Chase Bank because they are FDIC and that's federal (laughs) so you have to go to like a credit union or like a local bank or a bank that's specific for cannabis um but even like the fees for that is high you know what I mean even to get a loan through them you still have to have like millions of dollars literally millions of dollars because they know how much it costs to build for for cannabis um so it's been very difficult uh, i've been taking the approach of crowdfunding i've been applying for every grant every like women in business uh, thing that i can find um because that's my only options right now and obviously still pitching to investors but really wanting to have kind of a backing so the approach that i'm taking to my capital funding is i'm Um, looking for 75% of my funding from accredited investors. So those are your million dollar, billion dollar folks. Um, And then also looking, and then looking for 25% of that from small investments in crowdfunding and grants. So those are my folks who might not be able to give a million dollars. Maybe they have 1500 and I might might not be able to give them equity in the company, but what I can give you is unlimited membership to the, to any of the locations because I plan on plan on franchising this. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe, you know, you don't have any money, but you have like skills. So right now there's um, four women that are with like 
on my team for the business and they haven't invested any money in it, but one's a graphic designer, one is a CPA, one is in policy and advocacy. So she's really helping doing the lobbying. Um, and one is in tech, which is helping us develop a POS system specifically for black moon cannabis. So that's how I'm looking at it. And so I, I guess my advice to anyone who's like hearing this and is like saying, I want to get into this industry is like, don't just look at it as like, oh, I don't have a million dollars, so I can't do it. Look at your network. Your network is your net worth. There might be people in your like in your little web <laughs> that has access to things that you might need. Um, for example, like I used to do work in Highland Park and I did a lot of work there. So I, I'm connected to their city council person. It just so happens for an application to, to Highland Park, you have to write a letter to their city council. Well, she already knows me. So look at things like that. And also look at ways that your skills can apply specifically to cannabis because there are so many of us who are highly educated, highly knowledgeable, have the skills, but may not have the capital to enter the industry, but your skills and your knowledge and your, all of that is still needed. So look at it that way. Yeah, no, I love that. I feel like that, that, um, reminds me, I think like Issa Rae said it about like, not, not necessarily like looking to the people who are, who have already made it and who are already up there, but like looking across, like looking at people who are like on the same level as you, but have, but they have something to like offer so that like, when the time is right, like you guys all go up, you know, together. together. Yeah. Yep. And that's the exact approach I'm taking with Black Moon Cannabis. My team is made up of people who are friends of mine that I've known for years who have excelled in their professions and who I know their skills would apply, who I trust. Right. And who I'm like, they get me. They understand the brand. They understand. Like, I feel like they would make perfect teammates and they don't have millions of dollars but they have the skill set to really elevate it and that's exactly how I approached it it was like look I don't have money to pay you I'm being quite honest and I think that especially because I'm soliciting investment from black women and black people specifically people should be paid for their work they should be paid for their work any of that work so I approached them and I was like I don't have the money to pay you but what I can offer you because I think that you're going to provide some big things to the company is equity in my company mm-hmm. I can provide you that I can provide you future shares in the company I can look at your sweat equity as almost a loan so say you think that what you're contributing is worth $150,000. I can't pay you $150,000 right now, but once the business is pulling revenue, maybe I can pay you $50,000 every quarter or break it down however it works. So that's how I'm how I'm looking to start up Black Moon Cannabis because I'm taking a fundraising approach to it because that's my background. I used to fundraise for a nonprofit. And when we were looking to fund something, we didn't go talk to the billionaires and just say, give us money. How we did that we looked at small mom and pop stores who needed recognition and said hey if you're look if you're willing to donate your services we'll give you a tax write-off and we'll give you promotion well i'm not a nonprofit, so i can't give you a tax write-off but i can give you the skills so that you say most of the girls too are consultants so now they can say i've worked on a major cannabis brand and i can now apply that so and market themselves as that hey i'm a cpa for cannabis hey i'm a graphic designer for cannabis and remember what i said in the beginning of this is that brings your price from 100 to a million already as soon as you add cannabis onto something it's just such a specific industry that they need people specifically to talk about that knows that industry inside and out 
So you add that tag to you or you add that you have cannabis knowledge and you already are adding marking up your price. And so, yeah, that's the approach I'm taking it. Like we can all rise up together. There's enough room at the table for everyone. Like I said, it's a billion dollar industry and I'm not greedy. I'm not out here trying to be a billionaire. I'm out here trying to make a impact, you know, provide representation for others and build generational wealth for my family. And generational wealth to me is not being a billionaire. It's not being a millionaire. It's having enough so that I can afford to fucking live. Like most millennials, we just want to live. Like we're not asking for much. We just want to be able to like eat out a couple times a week, take a vacation here and there, pay our bills. That's it. We don't need three yachts and shit. We don't need guest houses. I don't need all of that. I love to Airbnb. It's my favorite way to travel. I just want to be able to afford life, period. Afford life. <laughs> I I feel you on that one. We are not asking for much at all. No. <laughs> so as we kind of wrap, wrap up our conversation, um, what do you hope to accomplish by the end of the year? So it's kind of crazy to me that like we're basically halfway through with 2021 what do you want to get done by like December 31st? By December 31st, I want to have my building and be renovating for opening for 2022. That's my goal. Simple and easy. Um, I mean, it sounds simple easy, right? It's so much work in between that, but that's my goal. Um, I'm not trying to rush myself with opening Black Moon Cannabis because I think that it's something that needs to have time taking, especially because I'm so big on sustainability. And I, I don't know if you heard about like the Detroit floods and like all of I that that's on going your story. on. Yeah. So I like when I'm doing this business, it, it goes far beyond just, oh, I'm a cannabis company. I'm trying to make an impact in the environment as well as in the people, right, that are in my community. So I'm taking my time to see if there's a way that, you know, I can provide funding to help with the, you know, the water issues that we're having, the plumbing issues to get that redone. And that's going to take me time. That's going to take me time working with lawyers and figuring this out because I'm a first time business owner, right? Like I'm a, and first time in a business that is a big industry, you know what I mean? And so it's a a big taking on. And so I want to do it right. So I'm taking my time with it and I'm not trying to rush myself. Um, And I feel like that's something that we can all just take with us all the time. I feel like we see people moving so fast because that was definitely me, right? I saw people from my cohort making these big deals and signing on with, you know, large investors. And I had nice, I was sitting like in my room crying because I'm like, damn, am I ever going to get this up and running? But I'm like, I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to do it the way that I feel is right. And I'm going to take my time with it. Um, And other people's timelines is not my timeline. So... That's why I got to keep reminding myself because it's a, it's a fast moving industry, but it requires a lot of intention um, and intention requires time. You, you don't put intention in something quickly. So yeah, by the end of this year, I'm hoping to have either my building or my land because I'm either, I'm looking at either purchasing a building or just the land um, and constructing the building or starting to renovate the building. Cause I'm hoping to open by September or October of 2022. Okay. Nice. So for people who want to like, you know, find you, learn more about Black Moon Cannabis, get involved, where can the people find you? 
Yay! Yes, it's my favorite part of all podcasts, right? The shameless plug. Um, so yes, you can find me on Insta at Aisha Please and at Black Moon Cannabis. Um, I have an, a crowdfunding page happening right now on I Fund Women, and it is linked in my bio on Instagram as well as um, in the bios of my personal page, Aisha Please and Black Moon Cannabis. And on my website, AishaPlease.com, you can find the pitch video um, for the business as well as the crowdfunding page too.